At the end of King Solomon's reign over Israel, God told a man named Jeroboam that he would become king over all but one of the tribes of Israel. But Solomon wasn't ready to give up the throne, so he tried to kill Jeroboam, who escaped and fled to Egypt. A short while later, Solomon died, and his son Rehoboam was named king. The people were unhappy with the heavy taxes placed on them and went to complain, along with their spokesperson, Jeroboam. Despite their complaints, the king refused to listen. Furious, most of Israel made Jeroboam their leader and lived in the northern territory called Israel, where Rehoboam ruled over the southern tribe called Judah. After being a united country for many years, Israel was now split in two. The new king of the Northern Territory, Jeroboam, was worried that when his people returned to the South in order to worship at the temple in Jerusalem, they might be persuaded to become loyal to Rehoboam instead of him. So he devised a plan. He constructed two golden calves and told his people that they were the gods that helped them escape from Egypt many years earlier. Then he had a huge festival to worship these gods, and unbelievably, the Israelites went along with it. Then one day, Jeroboam was at one of the altars making a sacrifice, when a man who followed God approached Jeroboam and warned him that his kingdom would soon be ruined. Jeroboam stretched out his arm and shouted, Seize him! As he did, his hand shriveled up. Terrified, Jeroboam pleaded with the man to pray for him. So the man prayed for Jeroboam's hand and it was healed. Even after this display of God's power, Jeroboam still led the people to worship other gods. For years, Jeroboam and Rehoboam were at war. When Rehoboam died, his son and then grandson took over as kings of Judah. His son worshiped other gods just like his father. But Rehoboam's grandson, Asa, was different. Asa got rid of the idols and was fully committed to following God. The northern kingdom of Israel continued to be led by a series of wicked men, none of whom followed God. One of these kings was Ahab, who did more evil in the eyes of God than any king before him. Perhaps worst of all, Ahab married Jezebel a woman from a foreign country who convinced him and almost all of Israel to worship a foreign god named Baal. Because of this, God would need to send a messenger to set things straight. After taking a brief break for Christmas, we're reconnecting with what we're calling the story. It's a 31-week look at the entire Bible. If you stay with us, if you do all the readings with us each week, you will have read 70% of the Bible by the end of our series. So I encourage you, even if you're behind, catch up with us. If you're visiting this morning and you want to join us for the rest of this journey through the Bible, we'd love for you to pick up a copy of the story, the book, that has the scriptures in it that we will be in each week. This morning, we're looking, as you just saw, at the dividing of the kingdom. Now, I want to catch us up by stepping back just a moment, a lot of people get really lost in the Bible in this portion of Scripture. And the only reason that happens is because they don't understand the historical context. So I want to give you kind of a, a quick picture 
of the history and the setting of this this morning. And what you'll see here is, is first of all, the kingdom united. Now, when the 12 tribes entered into Canaan, into the land that God had promised them through Abraham, when they entered that land, they were 12 very loosely connected tribes. Um, think back to the beginning of our own nation. Back then, people identified more as states than they did as the United States of America. I remember a couple of times when we, Beth and I, have gone through um, Civil War historical sites, and we've hiked back in. I remember one time in particular, we came across an old Confederate, overgrown Confederate graveyard, cemetery. And we saw that the soldiers were all buried by state. Buried by state because that's how they identified. They didn't identify as a nation. They identified as a state. That's not that long ago for us as a country. And this is what the 12 tribes were like. They identified more with their tribe than they did as a nation. They cried out for a king, and God gave them King Saul. He was the first king, and so when he became king, all the 12 tribes were united under one leader, under one king. From Saul, we came to David, from David to Solomon. Now, Solomon was called and tasked by God with building the temple of the Lord. To do that, what he did was to heavily tax all the different tribes so that he could build not just the temple, but he could build up Jerusalem to be this great city in his, in his tribe, Judah. Now, imagine how that went over with all the other people from other tribes. Wait a minute. It would be like you and me paying our state taxes to California, which I understand are very low. It's like us paying our state taxes and having all that money to go to build something in New York. We wouldn't like that. Our roads are deteriorating, and they're building this beautiful palace in New York. We would get frustrated and angry about that. So what happens is Solomon dies, there's already a sense of unrest, and now his son Reboam comes to the throne. Reboam, and we'll see this in a few moments, makes some bad decisions, and the nation divides into two. And if you are a note taker, I would encourage you to write some of this down that I'm going to give you now, because when you read the prophets, this is where people get lost. Some of the prophets are speaking to Israel, which is the northern kingdom. Some of the prophets are speaking to Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And they're speaking at the same time. And you get confused because all you need is this little information I'm going to give you right now. To the south is Judah. Judah is the, the tribe of Judah and part of the tribe of Simeon. All the rest of the tribes are to the north. They're two separate nations now. They divide into two nations God is the one who called that to happen. He's the one who was behind this as a way to punish Solomon for some of the uh, ungodly choices that he made. The worship center of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. And you're going to read about that next week as you start reading the prophets, because we're going to talk about the prophets next week. 
Now, the northern kingdom, the first king is Jeroboam, and you just heard a little bit about him. That's the northern kingdom. There were three worship centers in the northern kingdom. You're going to read where the prophet will say something about Dan or Bethel or Samaria. And you need to understand that these are worship centers in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, what you're going to see in the weeks ahead is that the northern kingdom has a succession of very evil kings who lead the people away from God. The southern kingdom is going to have some people that are, that are very faithful, some kings that are very faithful, and they draw the nation back, while other kings are going to be very unfaithful. In fact, out of 20 kings in this period, only five, five kings will be godly kings. Now, friends, as the king goes, so goes the nation. This is something that we need to pay attention to. One of the, a heartbeat of this church is that we would prepare leaders for the future, godly leaders. Why are we so concerned about that? We're so concerned about that because leadership matters. As the leader goes, so goes the nation. As the leadership in a church goes, so goes the church. And so this is something we need to pay attention to as people, and we need to be building up that next generation of leaders. So here are four things that I want you to see this morning. Now, if you've been with me for a little while, I have shared with you on occasion 10 questions that I ask when I read the Scriptures. Therefore, applying the Bible to my life. There's so that I'm connecting my life with what God is teaching me in His Word. I don't want to just read the Bible, go off and live as I always live. I want to read the Bible. I want to be changed by the Bible and live in a new way. And so one of the questions that I, or two questions that I ask in that acronym Space Pets, great acronym, two questions I ask are this. Is there an example to follow. And this is one of the questions you'll ask as you read the history part of the history of the nation in the section we're in right now, in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Is there an example to follow? But this morning we're going to ask a second question. Is there an example to avoid? Is there an example that becomes a warning sign to us as we look at our own lives? I want to share four warnings with you this morning that come from Jeroboam, come from Reboam, come from this section of history. And here's the first one that I want you to see. And that's this. Beware of impatience with regard to God's timing. Beware of becoming impatient with God's timing in your life. How many of you would say that you're impatient? Okay, I'm putting two hands up. Oh my, it just drives me crazy. I get into a grocery store, I don't know how I do it, but I get into the line where there are the fewest number of people, and then I see where the other people who got in line the same time I did, and I see who's going to be first. Anybody else do that? Yeah, you're sick like me. Demented like me. And so, I don't know how it happens. I get in the shortest line number of people, 
And it always is the longest line. I always lose. I'm very impatient. I want, I want it, and I want it now. I'm like a two-year-old. I want it, and I want it now. And we do that with God. Jeroboam did that with God. I want you to see this passage from 1 Kings 11, verses, 9, uh, verses 29 to 34. I want you to hear what we read here um, from Jeroboam. This is uh, Jeroboam at this point. He is an advisor in the court of Solomon. Remember Solomon? He is an advisor in Solomon's court. Now, while he was an advisor, this is what happens. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country, and Ahijah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. Now listen to what he said. I am going to. Who's going to do it? God's going to do it. Okay, I am going to tear 10 tribes away from Solomon. Then he goes on to say, um, and I'm going to give it to you, but, the, uh, but for the sake of my servant David in the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, there will, um, to have one tribe, I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped the false gods. So Solomon had allowed the worship of false gods. God is coming in to intervene. Now, why, why does he do this? Why does he punish them? Don't think of it as punishment as much as discipline. How many of you are parents? How many of you disciplined your children? Children, how many of you have been disciplined in your life? Yes, amen, me too. Why do we discipline them? Because we want them to live well. We want life to go well for them. Why does God discipline us? The Bible says he disciplines those he loves. Well, here's the problem with Jeroboam. Jeroboam gets this word from God, and suddenly, like a rocket, he takes off. He gathers some people together who are unhappy with what Solomon's doing, and he re leads a rebellion against Solomon. It's not God leading the rebellion. It's not God leading the breaking of the nation. It's Jeroboam. He says, oh, okay, God, and off he goes. He doesn't wait for God's timing. He doesn't wait for the Lord to do it. He goes out and tries to do it. He's put down in this revolt. And he flees for his life and he runs to Egypt to hide. Now he comes back when Solomon dies. But I want you to think about this. How often, how often do you run ahead of God? How often do you want something so bad to happen in your life that you'll cut corners, that you'll be just a little dishonest? You'll try to create what it is that God is wanting to give to you. Let me give you an example of this. The Bible says that God wants to give me and you immeasurably more than we've ever asked or can even imagine. 
Most of us are out there frantically trying to create that for ourselves instead of resting in the Lord, living the life that God has created us to live in obedience and trusting in His perfect timing. Something that I have seen happen many times over the years is when it comes to young people in their uh, late teens and 20s who have a God-given desire to be married. They have this desire, and it's God-given. So they go out to find someone. They find someone who they believe loves them. Okay, they're not a believer. They're not a Christian. Now, the Bible says we should not be unequally yoked to non-believers. I won't do a wedding between a Christian and a non-Christian because I believe the Bible says that we are not to do that. But out of insecurity, maybe, just maybe, this is the only person that will ever love me. Maybe, just maybe, this is the only person that will care for me. And out of fear and insecurity, they enter into that, that marriage and they become spiritually alone. And they become spiritually a single parent. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that over the years. Or somebody knows, well, yeah, this person may not be the healthiest person in the world, but, but, but they don't trust that God is capable of bringing the right person at the right time into their lives. Do you trust the Lord? Maybe, maybe for you it's, you know what, I know God is, calls every Christian to give financially and give of their time, but you know what, I'm too busy building my kingdom over here. Because God, you've told me that you want to give immeasurably more than I've asked or imagined, so I'm going to make sure that all that happens. And so you're not obediently investing in eternity, investing financially and time and energy and skills and gifts in the kingdom of God. You don't have time for that because it's not on your agenda. I have seen this happen so many times with people in their lives. They, they run ahead of God. Maybe it's you've asked God for something and you waited two days. It's been a whole 48 hours and it hasn't happened. So you run out to make sure it happens. You know, God answers our prayers, and you may have heard this in three ways. He says yes, he says no, and he says not now. It's not the right time. The hardest thing for us, many of us, is to be patient with God. We conclude God didn't hear my prayer when God's saying, I love you too much to answer that prayer. Here's a second thing that I want you to see. And that is beware of seeking counsel from those who lack godly wisdom. This is a big one, friends. Who do you seek counsel from? Who do you look to? Who do you look to to speak into your life? Who do you look to when you're making a major decision? Who are the people who are speaking into your life? Beware of seeking counsel from those who lack godly wisdom. This is what happens to Reboam. Reboam, as you'll see in this passage, Reboam has surrounded himself with not only the advisors that his father Solomon had used, but his buddies from high school. Now that's going to end well. His buddies from college, the guys that he grew up with. 
Listen to what happens. The people, the people that were part of Solomon's, part of Solomon's council, they say to Reboam, look, stop taxing the people so heavy. What your father Solomon did wasn't the best thing. This isn't wise. Don't do it. But that's not the counsel that Reboam wanted to hear. And so we read in verses 8 to 11 of chapter 12, but Reboam rejected the advice, the elders, those with more life experience, those, the godly elders that had led with Solomon, he says, Reboam rejected their advice and consulted the young men that had grown up with him and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him, notice how they keep repeating this? The young men who grew up with him, the young men who grew up with him, what are you doing, Reboam? The young men who grew up with him said this, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. How do you think that went over? Well, that's who he listened to. And what happens is the kingdom is divided into two. Now is the timing where Jer Jeroboam I is to become the king. Not before when he tried to rebel against Solomon. Now was the, God's timing. Reboam makes a bad decision because he looks to the wrong people for counsel. Here's two things I want you to consider as we think about this, this point here. Two cautions. First, when you are seeking counsel, look for the right people. Look for people who have spiritual understanding and wisdom. Every decision you make in life has spiritual implications. Every decision that you make has spiritual implications. And so the question becomes, who are you going to seek counsel from? Now, when I look for counsel, I not only look for people who are spiritually mature, but I also look for people who have some life experience in that area in which I'm asking questions. So if I'm going to thinking about putting money into a particular stock, I'm not going to go to a really spiritually mature person who has no understanding of stocks. I'm going to find somebody who's got wisdom in that area, who's got experience in that area. And I'm going to make sure that they're a Christian. Now why? How does that become a biblical issue? Well, maybe, just maybe, they're going to talk to me about how I use the money that I have. Maybe they're going to challenge me and how I use my money. Maybe they're going to help me to use my money God's way, to handle it in a way that is Christ-honoring. Maybe, just maybe, they're going to challenge me in biblical ways. And maybe they're going to challenge me to use some of that to give. I don't know. But I want to be challenged by somebody, and I want counsel from somebody who has the same worldview that I do, which I seek to have a biblical worldview. Now, a second caution, and that is this. 
don't go to people who are just going to agree with you when you're trying to make, you're seeking counsel. Go to people who are going to tell you the truth. Go to people who are going to be honest with you. Go to people that maybe, just maybe, they're not going to agree with your narrative and your story and your decision. Or you're, they may not tell you the decision you know you want to hear. They're going to challenge you. I can't tell you how many times that has saved me from making poor decisions in my life. You ever had just yes people who will always say, whatever you're doing, it's great? I used to be one of those. I used to be one of those. I had this tremendous need of growing up to be accepted, to be liked. And I remember when I was in my early, early 20s, I think 21 or so, somebody uh, was, this couple wanted to get married. They had dated for a whopping two weeks. And they got engaged. And they came, uh, they were asking people, what do you think we should do? Should we get married? They, and and their, their date to get married was a month later. And, and I said, sure, why not? Do you love each other? Deep, profound counsel. They should never have gone to me. They should never have gone to me. I didn't have the life experience. I didn't have the spiritual maturity. Should never have gone to me. Got married. Now, I wasn't the only one they talked to. Got married. Marriage lasted five weeks before they split. He was abusive. Friends, be careful about the counsel you seek. Here's a third warning that we see. Beware of a good beginning and a bad ending. A good beginning and a bad ending ending. This is a theme that we've touched on before because it's a theme that goes over and over and over in the Bible. We see it again and again and again and again. People who start well, but they don't end well. Every one of us should be thinking about this, whether we're nine years old or 109 years old. I don't want to be somebody who begins well and ends well and, and, and ends poorly. I want to be somebody who begins well and ends well. Listen to what we read here about Jeroboam. In chapter 14, verses 7 to 9, we read um, this incredible passage. This is Jeroboam. Now, remember how Jeroboam started. We just talked about it a minute ago. A prophet of God came and said, tore up their cloak into 12 pieces and said, pick 10. You will rule as king over these ten. I mean, that's quite a start, isn't it? I would love that. God intervene in my life in that way. It'd be incredible. What a great beginning. And then we read these words in verse 7 to 9, 1 Kings 14. Go tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people, and I appointed you ruler over my people Israel. This is what God had done. I tore the kingdom from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who live before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. This is how Jeroboam ended. He built calves, golden calves to be worshipped. Why? 
he was afraid that because his temples at Dan and Samaria, that his temples weren't as beautiful as the temple in Jerusalem. So the people are going to go there. So I'm going to start creating all these different shrines that the people can use for worship. And he leads the people away from God. He started so well. God called him. God appointed him. And he ended so poorly. I want you to think about some different areas of your life. Maybe you began your spiritual journey with God with great energy, great excitement, great enthusiasm. Maybe with great passion. And now, a number of years later, it's not there. Your heart's not there for God anymore. You're cutting corners in life. You, re, you make decisions based on what you think is going to be best for you, not what you think will be best for the kingdom of God. You make decisions that lack any kind of biblical wisdom because you're living for yourself. You're working maybe in a job, you're getting close to retirement, and you're just, you're just phoning, it, phoning it in. You're not working hard. What about when it comes to your marriage? You said those sacred vows on your wedding day, and now, as the years have gone by, you have not done the work to build into that marriage, and you're just two people coexisting in the same home. You began so well. Here's the good news. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not too late to renew yourself spiritually, relationally, to renew yourself to the commitments that you have made. Maybe you're a parent. When you held that little baby for the first, do you remember this? Holding that baby for the first time in your arms? I'll never forget it. The love I had for that child. It's amazing. It's extraordinary. I'm going to love and serve you all the days of your life. Then they get into junior high. Maybe we need to renew. Renew. Renew that today. I don't want to be somebody who just starts well. I want to be somebody who ends well. One of the things you've heard me say that has been very shocking to me known a lot of pastors over the years, but I have not known a lot of pastors who not only started well, but ended well. They're heroes in my book. They're heroes for me. I have so much admiration for people like that, and I hold them as mentors, as examples of the kind of life I want to live. And here's the last thing I want you to see, and that's this. Oh, where am I going? You know what I'm doing? I'm pushing the wrong button. You'd think I'd know it by now. Beware of leaving a legacy of, dis of disaster and destruction. Beware of leaving a legacy of disaster and destruction. I want you to hear what happens in 1 first, in Kings 15, 1 to 3. Listen to this. Now, this is going to be the son of Jeroboam, who becomes king of Israel, the northern kingdom. In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah became king of Judah. 
And he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Makah, daughter of Abishalom. He committed all the sins, hear this, underline it, he committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his forefather had been. He followed the example of his father. Who are you looking to for an example? And who is looking to you to be an example? If you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt, an uncle, the decisions you make before the next generation is setting an example for them. It's setting an example for them. I want to ask you this question. Do you want the next generation, do you want your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your younger brothers, your younger sisters, do you want them to live the life that you are living? I have a son-in-law who, had an, who has an older brother, and, and, and there was some, some bad choices being made by another older brother. But this oldest brother built in to my son-in-law, and he set him a good example. And he said, follow my steps. Live as I live. Live like this. Follow me. To this day, his older brother is one of his heroes. And he walked the straight path, my son-in-law, because of the example of this older brother who built into him. Imagine that. Imagine the power of that kind of relationship. Imagine the impact that can be made. Who are you building into? When I, my kids were, were um, in high school age, I set them each down and asked them different, uh, independently, I asked them to consider two questions. I said to them, I want you to be better than mom and dad. We did the best we could, but I want you to be better than us. How do you want to be better? How do you want to be better than mom and dad? What are patterns that you don't want to follow that you see in our lives? How do you want your marriage to be better than our marriage? I want my kids to be better. And I want them to be thinking about how they can choose not to pass on to the next generation anything negative that we passed on to the next generation. And I know what you're thinking right now. They probably thought a lot about me because they knew their mom was perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I want you to contrast that with this. I want you to hear this. Oh, where is it? Talk amongst yourselves for just a moment. Okay, here it is. In the, 12th, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah, the southern kingdom. Listen to this. Remember, Reboam was his father, not a great guy, not a godly man, set some poor examples. He reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Makah, daughter of Abishalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. This is in chapter 15. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. 
He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his ancestors had made. He even deposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. You know what it's saying? Asa became king, and he said, I'm not going to be like my father and my grandfather. I'm going to change the generations to come. I'm going to be different. I'm going to set in motion something unique and different. I'm going to lead after the heart of King David, who sought to honor God in all of his decisions. I want to close with this story. Friends, there are some of you who grew up in situations where what was modeled for you wasn't the best. And your parents did the best they could, but maybe they were caught up in addictions or Maybe they just weren't present for you or on and or maybe they were abusive. It's shocking to me how often people who grow up in an abusive home will then become abusive themselves when they become parents. That's what they know. That's what's been modeled for them. It takes incredible courage. It takes incredible focus to change the patterns of the previous generations. Beth and I did this when we got married. We saw some things, some patterns in both of our families, and we said, we're going to change this. Because you know, if you don't make, if you don't look at it, you don't think about it, you're just going to do what was done to you. You're just going to parent or be married like your parents were. You're just going to do the same thing. My dad said no. My dad said no. My dad, when he was about five years old, his mom and dad split. And the last time he saw his dad for the next 20 years was when they were loading up a car with all of his stuff and he had no idea what was going on. Nobody told him that he was going to be sent to his grandmother to live with his grandmother. He was sent to his grandmother with his older brother. His older brother was named after their grandmother and she was bitter that at her age she was having to raise these two kids. So my dad's brother lived in the house. My dad lived in the garage. My dad never had a parent show up to any kind of parent-teacher conference, never had a parent show up to, to a, a, a game that he played, sport that he played, totally disengaged from his life. They weren't physically abusive. They just weren't present. They just weren't there. My dad remembers when he was in the second or third grade, he said, I'd never heard the name of Jesus, but he said, I remember getting on my knees and praying for Jesus. There were nights when his brother was taken out to dinner and he was just thrown a piece of bread. And my dad said no more. It stops here. And my dad was so engaged and so involved in the lives of his boys. He was a present father. And it's amazing as I look at my family and I look at my brother's families as dads, we were all engaged in the lives of our children. 
because of what had been modeled for us by my father. He said no. He stopped it. And the generations have been blessed by it. Friends, there is so much to learn. Next week, we are going to be looking at positive examples, the flip side, as we look at the prophets and the message of the prophets. Would you pray with me? Our Father, as we look at the scriptures this morning, man, they're challenging. I just know as I look at my life and I lay my life before these challenges, I recognize so much need for me to grow. So many things that I want to, want to build into my life today so that I am a different man tomorrow. Lord, speak to your people. Bless your people. We, may we decide today to make different choices in our lives that become patterns and habits that are honoring to you and will be blessed by you in the relationships that we have in this world. Minister to us and through us. For the sake of your kingdom, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.